Let's pray together. Daddy, you're the maker of heaven and earth. Everything that we see, and there's so much that we don't see, it all belongs to you. You've given us life and breath and everything else. And so we, we just come to you acknowledging that all that we have is, is yours. And we're grateful that you've entrusted uh, people, children, spouses. You've entrusted us with stewardship of work, of our life. Um, but we acknowledge it, it belongs to you. So we want to steward it with your guidance, with your leadership. We pray for the kids in this neighborhood who for the last couple of years have been running around our building and coming in and out of our midst. And Jesus, we pray that uh, they would choose to follow you as their king. We pray that you would help us to know how to love and um, befriend them. Yeah, and we pray for each of us that we would hear from you to know how to love the people that you've placed around us. And we just take a moment now to ask that you'd, you'd save them. We believe you're pursuing them. And there's many in our culture who think they're saved, but they're not. And really, only you know that. I, I, we don't want to sit in the judgment seat on that, but we do want to be aware that many... Uh, are misled and we want to be we want to be wise in our witness and we want to be gentle in our witness as well so Holy Spirit you can do that in us and we uh, look forward to being a part of what you're doing now as we open your word uh, I do ask that we would open ourselves and remove our defenses and uh that you would come and speak and meet us here now. Amen. So, how did you learn how to walk? Or how to talk? How to read? Maybe, maybe specific skills related to your job? How to teach? How, how did you learn those, those skills? Maybe on-the-job training, but it, it's constant repetition is often how we learn to do things. My dad top band for years, over 35 years, and he always had this phrase, people say practice makes perfect, but my dad said, no, practice makes permanent. You will play the way that you practice. And so it's training, right? It's this constant repetition. I'm going to play this song over and over. I'm going to practice over and over in order to build this permanence so that the way that I play is the way that I desire to play. I want to I practice how I want to play. But there's some other types of training that are a lot less obvious. Uh, about a year and a half ago, a friend and I got into a rock wall climbing kick. We'd climb at the, at the YMCA's, those rock walls. And then one day we were lifting together and he was on his knees, right? With a dumbbell and like just started dropping this weight slowly. And I was just like, 
I don't want to do that. Because I always, you know, I, when I go lifting with a friend, I always just do what they do. Um, and I was like, oh, that's so weird. I don't want to. But I asked him, why, why are you doing that? And he's like, oh, it's uh, for my rock wall climbing muscles. And he, he, you know, he knew the terms and everything. But uh, so, so I did that too. But that's another type of training. It's just a little less obvious. And Jesus has been getting at in the Sermon on the Mount, the fulfillment of the law, that he came to fulfill the law, but he also came to teach others to do the same. And so we're about to enter into chapter six, where I think Jesus is diving into the specifics of how do we train to be the kind of person who uh, moves towards fulfilling the law in the way that Jesus did, Mo- moves towards doing the things that Jesus said that we should do, rather than being satisfied with not murdering, we become the type of people who we're slow to become angry. We really realize the danger that anger can bring into our lives. Rather than thinking, oh, really, I'm doing pretty good because I'm not committing adultery. It's like, no, we realize the danger of lust and we draw the line there. So I want to remind us, I think this is like the thesis statement for for the Sermon on the Mount. In in chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, I'm going to read this to kind of refresh us of Jesus' goal in this sermon. He says, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness, Jesus is, he's talking about righteousness, this whole sermon, unless this, unless you have the type of righteousness that exceeds, it surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus didn't just come to fulfill the law. He came to teach others to do the same. He wants us to lead great lives, and he knows what greatness really looks like. The point of his whole sermon is that we would hear and put it into practice. And then Matthew, just I really like how the whole gospel of Matthew ties together, because at the end of Matthew's gospel, it's a great commission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, in Matthew 5, Jesus taught us some pretty incredible, astonishing stuff. If we just think about what the world would look like if we and others put into practice the things that Jesus taught. But what's so encouraging to me is Jesus charts a training program to move towards becoming that kind of person. That rather than comparing ourselves to each other like the scribes and the Pharisees. He, he gave us the how in chapter 6 to move towards this type of training. Just like we learned how to do our job and back, way back when we learned how to talk and how to read, uh, Jesus gives us a how here in our text today. And so this is the start of Matthew 6. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. So remember, he just, he just told us like what the righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, what that righteousness looks like. It's the righteousness that prays for those who persecute you. 
It doesn't say love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It says love your enemy. So how to do that? Don't do it before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth. They've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the big idea of these four verses, I believe, is, is it's internal training. The type of training that Jesus is promoting, encouraging us to move towards. I think he just keeps coming back to this idea of internal training throughout chapter 6. And so verse 1 is like the big point of the whole section. Jesus is concerned with right living done the right way from a right heart. And you'll see this phrase, your father who sees what's done in secret will, will reward you. He's going to repeat that phrase this week, next week, and the week after. So the defining characteristic of our training program under Jesus is secrecy. That's, that's how deep and internal the training is. The only one who really knows <laughs> how you're doing with your training, we should get together with our small groups and kind of share, but the only one with full clarity and precision is God and you if you're paying attention. And I, I just want to define secrecy a little bit. It doesn't mean that others can't see you. It means that you don't care whether other people see you or not because you're not trying to impress them. You're not trying to please them. And living and training in secret also means not keeping score. I've been guilty of this before. In fact, even in the last month, I found myself with the attitude of, no one else knows, but I sure do. (laughs) You know, I'm serving in the background, and come on. You know, doesn't he or she realize how well I'm doing, how much I'm doing? And that happens, you know, at work. That happens in family life. That can happen anywhere in our life. And so Jesus says, be careful. Be careful about that temptation. And also, I, I just want to throw this out there. Just because you do something in secret, uh, that too can be twisted into self-righteousness. Like, oh, no one knows I did that, so I'm doing really good, right? I, I don't think that's what Jesus is promoting. He's, he's saying Train yourself internally so that other people don't have to know and it doesn't build you up. You just want to become this type of person. You just want to become the type of person who pleases God and trusts that you will get a reward from him. You you trust him with the outcome of your work, the outcome of your life. So in this context, Jesus brings up giving. In the context of training for kingdom righteousness. And undoubtedly, there's probably someone new here or someone who hasn't been around and they're, they're going to come in and think, great, another church talking about money. Well, to give you a little history of Orchard, we've only ever talked about giving when we just run into it in the Bible. Uh, we did 2 Corinthians, like we studied the whole book of 2 Corinthians in 2017. 
And uh, I was kind of dismayed when I realized, oh man, <laughs> Paul talks about giving, like a big chunk right in the middle. I, I, personally, I don't like teaching on it. Um, but as we study God's word, we're going to run into it. So we're not going to run around it. We're not going to avoid it. Uh, we're just going to deal with it. So if you're visiting, uh, there's no obligation to give. And if you ever bring people, you can tell them there's really no obligation for you to give. Um, and I just want to say all that because we sit in a church and when we hear Bible verses about giving, we tend to think, give to the church. And the Bible does talk about giving to the church, but this, this really isn't a text where Jesus is saying, give to the church. The words which we read or we read as give to the needy are literally, the words literally mean do mercy. Do mercy. And that's what alms, if you have NASB or a more literal translation, it'll say when you give your alms. Uh, alms was, and in many cultures still today, is, is a giving that takes place where those who fear God take care of those who can't take care of themselves. That, that's what alms giving is. So it might be someone who's disabled or someone who's sick and can't work. Um, you give to them out of mercy and out of your fear of God. And so you might be thinking, okay, so we don't have to give to the church, but just to the needy, according to Jesus. Uh, I don't think that's true because if no one or very few people gave to the church, the church would quickly qualify as needy. <laughs> right? Um, and so I just, I, I do want to encourage this type of mindset, and I believe it's biblical. You can disagree if, you, if you'd like. Um, later, talk to me. <laughs> if, if everyone, here's the diagnostic question, if everyone valued the life of the church the way that you do, what would it look like? If everyone valued the, the church life the way you do, what would it look like? Because we all have different abilities to give and things like that. But I think the heart of the matter is what do we value? And Jesus' audience understood almsgiving in addition to and not in replacement of other giving. We see this in Matthew 23. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees again, talking about them in Matthew 6. And in, 20, in chapter 23, he says to them, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. You, you, give, you give a tithe on everything, but you've neglected the more important matters, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus says you should have practiced your tithe without neglecting those matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So Jesus, his clear teaching is it's possible to look like you're doing all the right things without doing any of the most important things possible to look like you're doing all the right things without doing any of the most important things. And I think that Jesus is starting Matthew 6 with giving uh, because he knows that how we use our money is very telling of what's important to us. A lot, a lot of people graduated recently. Congratulations to all you graduates. Uh, so if you're a graduate, you're probably familiar with what a weed-out class is because you survived weed-out classes. A weed-out class is kind of a, it's a required class for a degree that they give you up front that's fairly difficult, right? Um, and you, if you don't pass it, man, like, uh, 
you're going to have to find a different degree that doesn't require that class if you don't want to do whatever it takes to pass that class. Um, and I think Jesus might be giving a weed out class here. And don't mishear me and say, you're not a Christian if you don't give. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. But you do have to repeat certain classes in the school of Jesus if you want to grow, if you want to move on. Um, And it's weeded me out before. Let me just say that. I have not always been a faithful, consistent giver. It's weeded me out before. I had to retake that class. And it's proven in my life to be a required prerequisite for growth. Our money, in some ways, it really does represent our life. Because when we work, you know, when you punch the time clock, nobody does that anymore. But when you go to work, you're exchanging your time, that time of your life, in exchange for what they're going to give you, the benefits, the salary, whatever else. And so following Jesus entails our whole life, and money is just one indicator of what we give our life to. So that, that was just a clarification um, of giving and what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus is really saying more about how to give than who to give to or even what to give here. He's, he's talking about how to give. So verses 1 and 2 is how not to give. Don't give to impress people. Don't give for the praise of men. Because if you do, that's all you're going to get is their praise and nothing else. Don't announce it with trumpets. That's, that's giving for the praise of men. I used to read this and think, gosh, those guys were obnoxious. Like, to have trumpets played when they give. Like, uh, I did a little study this week, and I think it's more likely, based on my study, that this is the trumpets. They were, they, they were trumpet-shaped bowls that made a, a loud racket when they, you know, like dumped lots of coins, lots of money in there. So it got lots of attention. And so uh, either way, whether you want to believe it was a musical instrument or the bowls, it's, it's don't draw attention to this practice. Don't toot your own horn. Instead, here's how we should give, verses 3 and 4. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And that's kind of, yeah, it sounds kind of Yoda-ish. You know, what, what does that even mean? <laughs> I think a good picture is juggling. If you're really good at juggling, which I'm not, you just do it, right? You're not, you're, you're not thinking, oh, this hand has to catch and this hand has to throw. Uh, it's muscle memory. You've trained yourself to juggle. And you're not even thinking about it. It's the same way with dribbling a basketball or shooting a basketball. You train yourself over and over so that this movement just becomes a natural part of who you are. And Jesus is saying, give. When you give, don't draw attention, but just let get, like just become a giving person. Don't think, oh, I need to give. At first, it'll be very much like a discipline. Oh, I have to do this. I have to make sure to remember to give. But Jesus is saying, Become the type of person for whom you can't imagine life without it. Like, most of us cannot imagine life without walking. We cannot imagine life having to think about, okay, how do I drive my car? Okay, I turn it on, and then, okay, I have to, why isn't it going? Oh, yeah, I have to put it in gear. We don't think about that. It comes naturally to us. Our left hand doesn't know what our right hand is doing. 
in those situations. We just do it. It's the same way with our speech. Like, I'm not thinking, oh, am I still speaking English right now? It's all I know, right? So Dallas Willard, uh, he unpacks the don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing in the same idea when he says this. He says, the kind of people who have been so changed by their daily walk with God that good deeds naturally flow from their character are precisely the kind of people whose left hand would not notice what their right hand is doing. As, for example, when driving one's car or speaking one's own native language. What they do naturally, often automatically, simply because of who they are pervasively and internally. Their deeds are in secret, no matter who's watching, because they're absorbed in love of God and in love of those around them. They hardly notice their own deed and rarely remember it. So what that might look like for us is if someone in a couple weeks or a couple months comes to you and says, it really encouraged me when you said this to me at small group, or it really meant a lot when you did this, and you don't even remember doing it. Um, I think that's a sign that you're making progress in becoming this type of person. And Jesus wants us to become truly good people, not just people who do truly good things, but to become truly good people. And so today it sure seems to me like he's giving us step one, trained to become the kind of person to whom it just makes sense to become giving. And so we're going to look at some applications now uh, by way of implication. So I, I think it'll make sense once I start doing it. To, to become this kind of person, it implies, like to, to give this way, it implies that you have to give. Uh, so that's one application. If you have questions or hang-ups, that's okay. Talk to someone. Fig- figure it out. We should be able to walk through our hang-ups and our hurdles together. So get, get the clarity that you need. G- and I just want to say this. God only tells us to give because he knows what's best for us. God doesn't need anything from you. And again, I'd, I'd rather not have this conversation, but it's in God's word because he loves us. He wants what's best for us. In order to give, here's another implication that we can apply in our lives. In order to give, we have to work. <laughs> Otherwise, we don't have anything to give. God made us to work. Work is good. Work existed before the fall. So unpacking how to understand the gospel in our daily life, Paul writes this in Ephesians 4. He says, anyone who's been stealing or taking should do so no longer. They should work doing something useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. You don't have much to give if you don't work. And just to be really clear, your work accomplishes way more than your paycheck. Colossians 3, Paul also says about our work that whatever we do, we can work at it with all of our heart as if working for the Lord. That happens internally. That's, that's in the secret place. Who am I working for? That foreman who I can't stand? That principal who doesn't understand all that I do? No, I'm training to work as unto the Lord, because that's where my reward comes from. 
My reward is not my paycheck. My reward is not my retirement. My reward is ultimately with God. And that ties back into our training in secret to become this type of person. And just, just to be really clear, your work as a physical therapist, your work in the business world, in the county, has as much value, as much capacity for worship of God as my work as a minister. I believe that 100%. Your work has the same capacity for worship as mine does. So do your work in secret, not just for the paycheck, for the approval of men, but for your father. And that's the last implication is, you know, if you're, if you're training in secret in this way, in your giving, next week it'll be prayer, the week after Jesus talks about fasting. If you do your training in secret, um, there's only one reason to do it. He keeps coming back to this reason, so that you'd know your heavenly father. Know God's pleasure in your life. As a stay-at-home mom, he has pleasure in your work. As someone who works 50, 60, 70 hours a week, if you do it in faith, he has pleasure in your work. And our reward won't be complete. It won't be full and final until he returns. But there is a sense, there is a way that we can enjoy part of it now. We can enjoy his pleasure, his presence in our lives right now as we do this training in secret. So again, I I believe Jesus' goal here isn't to twist your arm into making you give. That's not my goal at all. But to invite you to consider what would it look like if I became a giving person? The type of person that looks to give and not to take. And that's a training that we all need to engage in because I'm convinced we're all takers by nature. I know I am. In my nature, my sinful nature, I'm a taker. And it's going to take something really powerful (laughs) to change my nature, to learn to live the opposite way. It's going to take ongoing training and something really powerful. The gospel is the power that we need. It's the only way to truly be a giver and not a taker. It's to follow the ultimate giver, the one who gave himself for us. I want to close with 2 Corinthians 8, where Paul Paul writes, you know the grace, you know the activity of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through Jesus' poverty, might become rich. Let's talk to God together. If God has lovingly made it clear to you, Uh, in some specific way that you've been living life as a taker, whether it's in relationships or with your finances. There's lots of different ways to be a taker and to be a giver. Um, Just talk to him about that now. Repent and trust Jesus again.
And if you're looking back on your life and you found you're made, you've made progress, enjoy the progress. Enjoy your Father's pleasure in your life and your work.